Chapter Four, Part One of Exotics and Retrospectives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in October 2014. Exotics and Retrospectives by Lafcadio Hearn. Chapter Four: The Literature of the Dead. Part one. Shindareba kozo ikitare. Only because of having died does one enter into life. Buddhist proverb. One. Behind my dwelling, but hidden from view by a very lofty curtain of trees, there is a Buddhist temple with a cemetery attached to it. The cemetery itself is in a grove of pines, many centuries old, and the temple stands in a great, quaint, lonesome garden. Its religious name is Ji-sho-in, but the people call it Kobudera, which means the gnarled or knobby temple, because it is built of undressed timber. Great logs of hinoki, selected for their beauty or strangeness of shape, and simply prepared for the builder by the removal of limbs and bark. But such gnarled and knobby wood is precious, it is of the hardest and most enduring, and costs far more than common building material, as might be divined from the fact that the beautiful alcoves and the choicest part of Japanese interiors are finished with wood of a similar kind. To build Kobudera was an undertaking worthy of a prince, and, as a matter of history, it was a prince who erected it, for a place of family worship. There is a doubtful tradition that two designs were submitted to him by the architect, and that he chose the more fantastic one, under the innocent impression that undressed timber would prove cheap. But whether it owes its existence to a mistake or not, Kobudera remains one of the most interesting temples of Japan. The public have now almost forgotten its existence, but it was famous in the time of Iemitsu, and its appellation, Ji-sho-in, was taken from the kaimyo of one of the great shogun's ladies, whose superb tomb may be seen in its cemetery. Before Meiji, the temple was isolated among woods and fields, but the city has now swallowed up most of the green spaces that once secluded it, and has pushed out the ugliest of new streets directly in front of its gate. This gate, a structure of gnarled logs with a tiled and tilted Chinese roof, is a fitting preface to the queer style of the temple itself. From either gable end of the gate roof, a demon head, grinning under triple horns, looks down upon the visitor. Within, except at the hours of prayer, all is green silence. Children do not play in the court, perhaps because the temple is a private one. The ground is everywhere hidden by a fine thick moss of so warm a colour that the brightest foliage of the very shrubbery above it looks sombre by contrast and the bases of walls, the pedestals of monuments, the stonework of the bell-tower, the masonry of the ancient well, are muffled with the same luminous growth. Maples and pines and cryptomerias screen the façade of the temple, and, if your visit be in autumn, you may find the whole court filled with the sweet heavy perfume of the mokuse blossom. 
after having looked at the strange temple you would find it worth while to enter the cemetery by the black gate on the west side of the court i like to wander in that cemetery partly because in the twilight of its great trees and in the silence of centuries which has gathered about them one can forget the city and its turmoil and dream out of space and time but much more because it is full of beauty and of the poetry of great faith indeed of such poetry it possesses riches quite exceptional each buddhist sect has its own tenets rites and forms and the special character of these is reflected in the iconography and epigraphy of its burial grounds so that for any experienced eye a tendai graveyard is readily distinguishable from a shingon graveyard or a zen graveyard from one belonging to a nichiren congregation but at kobudera the inscriptions and the sculptures peculiar to several buddhist sects can be studied side by side founded for the hokke or nichiren rite the temple nevertheless passed in the course of generations under the control of other sects the last being the tendai and thus its cemetery now offers a most interesting medley of the emblems and epitaphic formularies of various persuasions it was here that i first learned under the patient teaching of an oriental friend something about the buddhist literature of the dead no one able to feel beauty could refuse to confess the charm of the old buddhist cemeteries with their immemorial trees their evergreen mazes of shrubbery trimmed into quaintest shapes the carpet softness of their mossed paths the weird but unquestionable art of their monuments and no great knowledge of buddhism is needed to enable you even at first sight to understand something of this art you would recognize the lotus chiseled upon tombs or water tanks and would doubtless observe that the designs of the pedestals represent a lotus of eight petals though you might not know that these eight petals symbolize the eight intelligences you would recognize the manji or swastika figuring the wheel of the law though ignorant of its relation to the mahayana philosophy you would perhaps be able to recognize also the images of certain buddhas though not aware of the meaning of their attitudes or emblems in relation to mystical ecstasy or to the manifestation of the six supernatural powers and you would be touched by the simple pathos of the offerings the incense and the flowers before the tombs the water poured out for the dead even though unable to divine the deeper pathos of the beliefs that make the cult but unless an excellent chinese scholar as well as a buddhist philosopher all book knowledge of the great religion would still leave you helpless in a world of riddles the marvellous texts the exquisite chinese scriptures chiselled into the granite of tombs or limned by a master-brush upon the smooth wood of the sotoba will yield their secrets only to an interpreter of no common powers and the more you become familiar with their aspect the more the mystery of them tantalizes especially after you have learned that a literal translation of them would mean in the majority of cases exactly nothing what strange thoughts have been thus recorded and yet concealed are they complex and subtle as the characters that stand for them are they beautiful also like those characters 
with some undreamed of surprising beauty such as might inform the language of another planet two as for subtlety and complexity much of this mortuary literature is comparable to the veil of isis behind the mystery of the text in which almost every character has two readings there is the mystery of the phrase and again behind this are successions of riddles belonging to a gnosticism older than all the wisdom of the occident and deep as the abysses of space fortunately the most occult texts are also the least interesting and bear little relation to the purpose of this essay the majority are attached not to the sculptured but to the written and impermanent literature of cemeteries not to the stone monuments but to the sotoba those tall narrow laths of unpainted wood which are planted above the graves at fixed but gradually increasing intervals during a period of one hundred years the uselessness of any exact translation of these inscriptions may be exemplified by a word-for-word -word rendering of two sentences written upon the sotoba used by the older sects what meaning can you find in such a term as law sphere substance nature wisdom or in such an invocation as either wind fire water earth for an invocation it really is to understand these words one must first know that in the doctrine of the mystical sects the universe is composed of five great elements which are identical with five buddhas that each of the five buddhas contains the rest and that the five are one by essence though varying in their phenomenal manifestations the name of an element has thus three significations the word fire for example means flame as objective appearance it means flame also as the manifestation of a particular buddha and it likewise means the special quality of wisdom or power attributed to that buddha perhaps this doctrine will be more easily understood by the help of the following shingon classification of the five elements in their buddhist relations one ho kai tai sho chi sanskrit dharma datu prakit jnana or law sphere substance nature wisdom signifying the wisdom that becomes the substance of things this is the element ether ether personified is dai nichi nyorai the great sun buddha mahavairokana tathagata who holds the seal of wisdom two dai en kyo chi adarsanagnana or great round mirror wisdom that is to say the divine power making images manifest this is the element earth earth personified is ashukunyorai the immovable tathagata akshobya three byodo sho chi samatanyana even equal nature wisdom that is the wisdom making no distinction of persons or of things the element fire personified fire is hosho nyorai or gem birth buddha ratnasambhava tathagata presiding over virtue and happiness four 
Myo Kwan Zatsu Chi Pratyavek Shanagnana Wondrously observing considering wisdom, that is, the wisdom distinguishing clearly truth from error, destroying doubts and presiding over the preaching of the law. The element water. Water personified is Amida Nyorai, the Buddha of immeasurable light, Amitabha Tathagata. 5. Jo Sho Sa Chi. Krityanushtananyana, the wisdom of accomplishing what is to be done, that is to say, the divine wisdom that helps beings to reach nirvana. The element air. Air personified is Fuku Joju, the unfailing of accomplishment, more commonly called Fuku Nyorai, Amogasiddhi or Shakyamuni. Now, the doctrine that each of the five Buddhas contains the rest, and that all are essentially one, is symbolized in these texts by an extraordinary use of characters called Bonji, which are recognizably Sanskrit letters. The name of each element can be written with any one of four characters, all having for Buddhists the same meaning, though differing as to sound and form. Thus the character standing for fire would read, according to Japanese pronunciation, Ra, Ran, Raan, and Raku, and the characters signifying ether, Kya, Ken, Keen, and Kyaku. By different combinations of the twenty characters making the five sets, different supernatural powers and different Buddhas are indicated, and the indication is further helped by an additional symbolic character called Shuji or Seed Word, placed immediately after the names of the elements. The reader will now comprehend the meaning of the invocatory Ether, Wind, Fire, Water, Earth, and of the strange names of divine wisdom written upon Sotoba, but the enigmas offered by even a single Sotoba may be much more complicated than the foregoing examples suggest. There are unimaginable acrostics, there are rules varying according to sect for the position of texts in relation to the points of the compass, and there are cabalisms based upon the multiple values of certain Chinese ideographs. The whole subject of esoteric inscriptions would require volumes to explain, and the reader will not be sorry, I fancy, to abandon it at this point in favour of texts possessing a simpler and more humane interest. The really attractive part of Buddhist cemetery literature mostly consists of sentences taken from the sutras or the sastras, and the attraction is due not only to the intrinsic beauty of the faith which these sentences express, but also to the fact that they will be found to represent, in epitome, a complete body of Buddhist doctrine. Like the mystical inscriptions above mentioned, they belong to the sotoba, not to the gravestones. But, while the invocations usually occupy the upper and front parts of the sotoba, these sutra texts are commonly written upon the back. In addition to scriptural and invocatory texts, each sotoba bears the name of the giver, the kaimyo of the dead, and the name of a commemorative anniversary. Sometimes a brief prayer is also inscribed, or a statement of the pious purpose inspiring the erection of the sotoba. 
before considering the scripture texts proper in relation to their embodiment of doctrine i submit examples of the general character and plan of sotoba inscriptions they are written upon both sides of the wood be it observed but i have not thought it necessary to specify which texts belong to the front and which to the back of the sotoba since the rules concerning such positions differ according to sect one sotoba of the nichiren sect invocation ether wind fire water earth hail to the sutra of the lotus of the good law commemorative text today the service of the third year has been performed in order that our lay brother kaimyo may be enabled to cut off the bonds of illusion to open the eye of enlightenment to remain free from all pain and to enter into bliss sastra text myoho kyoriki soku shinjo butsu even this body of flesh by the virtue of the sutra of the excellent law enters into buddhahood two sotoba of the nichiren sect invocation hail to the sutra of the lotus of the good law commemorative text the right of feeding the hungry spirits having been fulfilled and the service for the dead having been performed this sotoba is set up in commemoration of the service and the offerings made with prayer of the salvation of buddha on behalf of kaimyo follows prayer with english translation gan ishi kudoku fugyo o isai gato yo shujo kaigu jo butsudo by virtue of this good action i beseech that the merit of it may be extended to all and that we and all living beings may fulfil the way of buddha the fifth day of the seventh month of the thirtieth year of meiji by this sotoba has been set up three sotoba of the jodo sect invocation hail to the buddha amida commemorative mention this is for the sake of here kaimyo follows sutra text the buddha of the golden mouth who possesses the great round mirror wisdom has said the glorious light of amida illuminates all the worlds of the ten directions and takes into itself and never abandons all living beings who fix their thoughts upon that buddha four sotoba of the zen sect sastra text the daien kyo chi kyo declares by entering deeply into meditation one may behold the buddhas of the ten directions commemorative text that the noble elder sister chisho inko unte myo now dwelling in the house of shining wisdom may instantly attain to bodhi prayer let whomsoever looks upon this sotoba be forever delivered from the three evil ways record in the thirtieth year of meiji on the first day of the fifth month by the house of inue this sotoba has been set up the foregoing will doubtless suffice as specimens of the ordinary forms of inscription the buddha praised or invoked is always the buddha especially revered by the sect from whose sutra or sastra the quotation is chosen 
sometimes also the divine power of a bodhisattva is extolled as in the following zen inscription the sutra of kwanon says in all the provinces of all the countries in the ten directions there is not even one temple where kwanon is not self-revealed sometimes the scripture text more definitely assumes the character of a praise offering as the following juxtaposition suggests the buddha of immeasurable light illuminates all worlds in the ten directions of space this for the sake of the swift salvation into buddhahood of our lay brother named the great secure retired scholar sometimes we also find a verse of praise or an invocation addressed to the apotheosized spirit of the founder of the sect a common example being furnished by the sotoba of the shingon rite hail to the great teacher haijo kongo rarely the little prayer for the salvation of the dead assumes as in the following beautiful example the language of unconscious poetry this for the sake of our noble elder sister may the lotus of bliss by virtue of these prayers be made to bloom for her and to bear the fruit of buddhahood but usually the prayers are of the simplest and differ from each other only in the use of peculiar buddhist terms this for the sake of the true happiness of our lay brother kaimyo that he may obtain the supreme perfect enlightenment this tower is set up for the sake of that he may obtain complete sambhoti this precious tower and these offerings for the sake of that he may obtain the anatra samyak sambhoti one other subject of interest belonging to the merely commemorative texts of sotoba remains to be mentioned the names of certain buddhist services for the dead there are two classes of such services those performed within one hundred days after death and those celebrated at fixed intervals during a term of one hundred years on the first second seventh thirteenth seventeenth twenty-fourth thirty-third fiftieth and hundredth anniversaries of the death in the zen rite these commemorative services perhaps we might call them masses have singular mystical names by which they are recorded upon the sotoba of the sect such as lesser happiness greater happiness broad repose the bright caress and the great caress but we shall now turn to the study of the scripture texts proper those citations from sutra or sastra which form the main portion of a sotoba writing expounding the highest truth of buddhist belief or speaking the deepest thought of eastern philosophy three at the beginning of my studies in the kobudera cemetery i was not less impressed by the quiet cheerfulness of the sotoba texts than by their poetry and their philosophy in none did i find even a shadow of sadness the greater number were utterances of a faith that seemed to me wider and deeper than our own sublime proclamations of the eternal and infinite nature of thought the unity of all mind and the certainty of universal salvation and other surprises awaited me in this strange literature texts or fragments of texts that at first rendering appeared of the simplest 
would yield to learned commentary profundities of significance absolutely startling phrases seemingly artless would suddenly reveal a dual suggestiveness a twofold idealism a beauty at once esoteric and mystical of this latter variety of inscription the following is a good example the flower having bloomed last night the world has become fragrant in the language of the higher buddhism this means that through death a spirit has been released from the darkness of illusion even as the perfume of a blossom is set free at the breaking of the bud and that the divine absolute or world of law is refreshed by the new presence as a whole garden might be made fragrant by the blooming of some precious growth but in the popular language of buddhism the same words signify that in the lotus lake of paradise another magical flower has opened for the apparitional rebirth into highest bliss of the being loved and lost on earth and that heaven rejoices for the advent of another buddha but i desire rather to represent the general result of my studies than to point out the special beauties of this epitaphic literature and my purpose will be most easily attained by arranging and considering the inscriptions in a certain doctrinal order a great variety of sotoba texts refer directly or indirectly to the lotus flower paradise of amida or as it is most often called the paradise of the west the following are typical the amida kyo says all who enter into that country enter likewise into that state of virtue from which there can be no turning back the text of gold proclaims in that world they receive bliss only therefore that world is called gokuraku exceeding bliss hail unto the lord amida buddha the golden mouth has said all living beings that fix their thoughts upon the buddha shall be received and welcomed into his paradise never shall they be forsaken but texts like these though dear to popular faith make no appeal to the higher buddhism which admits heaven as a temporary condition only not to be desired by the wise indeed the mahayana texts describing sukhyavati themselves suggest its essentially elusive character a world of jewel lakes and perfumed airs and magical birds but a world also in which the voices of winds and waters and singers perpetually preach the unreality of self and the impermanency of all things and even the existence of this western paradise might seem to be denied in other sotoba texts of deeper significance such as this originally there is no east or west where then can south or north be originally that is to say in relation to the infinite the relations and the ideas of the conditioned cease to exist for the unconditioned yet this truth does not really imply denial of other worlds of relation states of bliss to which the strong may rise and states of pain to which the weak may descend it is a reminder only all conditions are impermanent and so in the profounder sense unreal the absolute the supreme buddha is the sole reality this doctrine appears in many sotoba inscriptions 
the blue mountain of itself remains eternally unmoved the white clouds come of themselves and go by the blue mountain is meant the sole reality of mind by the white clouds the phenomenal universe yet the universe exists but as a dream of mind if any one desire to obtain full knowledge of all the buddhas of the past the present and the future let him learn to comprehend the true nature of the world of law then will he perceive that all things are but the production of mind by the learning and the practice of the true doctrine the non-apparent becomes for us the only reality the universe is a phantom and a phantom likewise the body of man together with all emotions ideas and memories that make up the complex of his sensuous self but is this evanescent self the whole of man's inner being not so proclaimed the sotoba all living beings have the nature of buddha the nyorai eternally living is alone unchangeable the keigon kyo declares in all living creatures there exists and has existed from the beginning the real law nature all by their nature contain the original essence of buddha sharing the nature of the unchangeable we share the eternal reality in the highest sense man also is divine the mind becomes buddha the mind itself is buddha in the engaku-kyo it is written now for the first time i perceive that all living beings have the original buddha nature wherefore birth and death and nirvana have become for me as a dream of the night that is gone yet what of the buddhas who successively melt into nirvana and nevertheless return in their order are they too phantoms is their individuality also unreal probably the question admits of many different answers since there is a buddhist realism as well as a buddhist idealism but for present purposes the following famous text is a sufficient reply namu itsu shin sanze sho butsu hail to all the buddhas of the three existences who are but one in the one mind in relation to the absolute no difference exists even between gods and men the golden verse of the josho sachi says this doctrine is equal and alike for all there is neither superior nor inferior neither above nor below nay according to a still more celebrated text there is not even any difference of personality Jitaho kaibyodo riyaku the i and the not i are not different in the world of law both are favored alike and a still more wonderful text to my thinking the most remarkable of all buddhist texts declares that the world itself phantom though it be is yet not different from the mind so moku koku do shitsu kai jobutsu grass trees countries the earth itself all these shall enter wholly into buddhahood literally shall become buddha 
that is, they shall enter into Buddhahood or Nirvana. All that we term matter will be transmuted, therefore, into mind, mind with the attributes of infinite sentiency, infinite vision, and infinite knowledge. As phenomenon, matter is unreal, but transcendentally it belongs by its ultimate nature to the sole reality. Such a philosophical position is likely to puzzle the average reader. To call matter and mind but two aspects of the ultimate reality will not seem irrational to students of Herbert Spencer. But to say that matter is a phenomenon, an illusion, a dream, explains nothing. As phenomenon it exists, and having a destiny attributed to it, must be considered objectively. Equally unsatisfying is the statement that phenomena are aggregates of karma. What is the nature of the particles of the aggregate? Or, in plainest language, what is the illusion made of? Not in the original Buddhist scriptures, and still less in the literature of Buddhist cemeteries, need the reply be sought. Such questions are dealt with in the sastras rather than in the sutras, also in various Japanese commentaries upon both. A friend has furnished me with some very curious and unfamiliar Shingon texts containing answers to the enigma. The Shingon sect, I may observe, is a mystical sect, which especially proclaims the identity of mind and substance, and boldly carries out the doctrine to its furthest logical consequences. Its founder and father, Kukai, better known as Kobodaishi, declared in his book Hizoki that matter is not different, in essence, from spirit. As to the doctrine of grass, trees, and things non-sentient becoming Buddhas, he writes, I say that the refined forms, ultimate nature, of spiritual bodies consist of the five great elements, that ether consists of the five great elements, and that the refined forms of bodies spiritual, of ether, of plants, of trees, consequently pervade all space. This ether these plants and trees are themselves spiritual bodies. To the eye of flesh, plants and trees appears to be gross matter. But to the eye of the Buddha, they are composed of minute spiritual entities. Therefore, even without any change in their substance, there can be no error or impropriety in our calling them Buddhas. The use of the term non-sentient in the foregoing would seem to involve a contradiction, but this is explained away by a dialogue in the book Shinman-gi. Question. Are not grass and trees sometimes called sentient? Answer. They can be so called. Question. But they have also been called non-sentient. How can they be called sentient? Answer. In all substance from the beginning exists the impress of the wisdom nature of the Nyorai, Tathagata. Therefore, to call such things sentient is not error. Potentially sentient, the reader might conclude, but this conclusion would be wrong. The Shingon thought is not of a potential sentiency, but of a latent sentiency which, although to us non-apparent and non-imaginable, is nevertheless both real and actual. 
Commenting upon the words of Kobodaishi above cited, the great priest Yukai not only reiterates the opinion of his master, but asserts that it is absurd to deny that plants, trees, and what we call inanimate objects can practice virtue, since mind, he declares, pervades the whole world of law, the grasses, plants, trees, and earth pervaded by it must all have mind, and must turn their mind to Buddhahood and practice virtue. Do not doubt the doctrine of our sect regarding the non-duality of the pervading and the pervaded, merely because of the distinction made in common parlance between matter and mind. As for how plants or stones can practice virtue, the sutras indeed have nothing to say but that is because the sutras being intended for man teach only what man should know and do the reader will now perhaps be better able to follow out the really startling buddhist hypothesis of the nature of matter to its more than startling conclusion it must not be condemned because of the fantasy of five elements for these are declared to be only modes of one ultimate all forms of what we call matter are really but aggregates of spiritual units and all apparent differences of substance represent only differences of combination among these units the differences of combination are caused by special tendencies and affinities of the units the tendency of each being the necessary result of its particular evolutional history using the term evolutional in a purely ethical sense all integrations of apparent substance, the million suns and planets of the universe, represent only the affinities of such ghostly ultimates, and every human act or thought registers itself through enormous time by some knitting or loosening of forces working for good or evil. Grass, trees, earth, and all things seem to us what they are not simply because the eye of flesh is blind life itself is a curtain hiding reality somewhat as the vast veil of day conceals from our sight the countless orbs of space but the texts of the cemeteries proclaim that the purified mind even while prisoned within the body may enter for moments of ecstasy into union with the supreme the one bright moon illuminates the mind in the meditation called Senjo. The one bright moon is the supreme Buddha. By the pure of heart he may even be seen. Hail unto the wondrous law. By attaining to the state of single-mindedness we behold the Buddha. Greater delight there is none. Incomparable the face of the Nyorai, surpassing all beauty in this world but to see the face of one Buddha is to see all. The Dai En Kyo Chi Kyo says, By entering deeply into the meditation Senjo, one may see all the Buddhas of the ten directions of space. The Golden Mouth has said, He whose mind can discern the being of one Buddha may easily behold three, four, five Buddhas, nay, all the Buddhas of the three existences which mystery is thus explained the myokman satsuchi kyo has said the mind that detaches itself from all things becomes the very mind of buddha 
visitors to the older buddhist temples of japan can scarcely fail to notice the remarkable character of the gilded aureoles attached to certain images these aureoles representing circles discs or ovals of glory contain numbers of little niches shaped like archings or worlds of fire each enshrining a buddha or a bodhisattva a verse of the amitayudhyana sutra might have suggested this symbolism to the japanese sculptors in the halo of that buddha there are buddhas innumerable as the sands of the ganga icon and verse alike express that doctrine of the one in many suggested by the foregoing sotoba texts and the assurance that he who sees one buddha can see all may further be accepted as signifying that he who perceives one great truth fully will be able to perceive countless truths but even to the spiritually blind the light must come at last a host of cemetery texts proclaim the infinite love that watches all and the certainty of ultimate and universal salvation possessing all the virtues and all the powers the eyes of the infinite compassion behold all living creatures the congo takara tomei proclaims all living beings in the six states of existence shall be delivered from the bonds of attachment their minds and their bodies alike shall be freed from desire and they shall obtain the supreme enlightenment the sutra says changing the hearts of all beings i cause them to enter upon the way of buddhahood yet the supreme conquest can be achieved only by self-effort through the destruction of the three poisons one may rise above the three states of existence the three existences signify time past present and future to rise above more literally to emerge from the three existences means therefore to pass beyond space and time to become one with the infinite the conquest of time is indeed possible only for a buddha but all shall become buddhas even a woman while yet a woman may reach buddhahood as this nichiren text bears witness inscribed above the grave of a girl kaiyo kenpi ryonyo jobutsu all behold from afar the dragon maiden become a buddha the reference is to the beautiful legend of sagara the daughter of the naga king in the myoho renge kyo End of chapter 4, part 1